Open Windows Podcasts. A venture of Hit the Road Cultural Journeys. A journey in time to music and the arts for your enjoyment and enrichment. Presented by Orhan Ahuskal, DMA, solo violinist and former professor of violin and chamber music. Hi everybody! In 2013 April, I played at the opening concert of the Madison First International Violin and Piano Days. This was a chamber music concert of works by Johannes Brahms, and I was the violinist for this concert. The violist was an old friend of mine who was one of the most famous musicians from Turkey named Ruşen Güneş. After the concert, we all went out to, to have big dinner and everybody who was to participate in the festival uh, was already there, so the, all these pianists and violinists. So there was a big dinner, more than 40 people at this restaurant. And at the end of the dinner, Rusham was telling his anecdotes from many, many years working with orchestras in London. During this conversation, and I had heard some of these stories before, and I told him, Rushan, we should actually write these down. You know, people just drop dead, and these are such wonderful stories, and they should be handed down to other people, and people should know more about you. So this is how the idea of writing a book about Rushan's career and life, and many of his famous stories, came about. In a few months' time, Rushan received a phone call same year, uh, during the summer, that said that he would be receiving a Lifetime Achievement Award uh, given by this music foundation in Ankara. And, and as part of this award, a book about him would be written. So when they asked him who he would like this book to write, he said, well, I have already talked to somebody and he's going to be writing the book. And, and this is how actually we got the time frame and then this book had to be completed before the award, next year's award would be given in December. So I had about a year or so to write the book. Now, some of you might be wondering why Rushan is so important. Well, for us, Rushan is not just a friend, but he represents a whole ideal. As I just told you, the Turkish Republic was only 17 years old when he was born. And in the early republic, they had conducted a whole bunch of sweeping reforms, and one of them was the reform in music. A music teacher's school was established. That was actually the first school established as part of the republic. And that school had been divided into a music education school, and also later in 1936 as a conservatory. So this school was very young, but its ideal was to actually create a new style of Turkish music that was based on Turkish folk music or Turkish traditional musics, like the Ottoman court music or the Sufi music, and also bring in together with the Western compositional styles and also train a whole generation of artists, including musicians, dancers, actors, opera singers. And Rushan came from that school. And he represented that ideal and also took it all the way to, to the biggest orchestras in London. So Rushen was not only just a guy, he was an idea for many of the younger people. He represented this whole idea and ideal and the vision of the Turkish Republic, vision of the early Turkish Republic.
Of course, on top, Rushan was one of the funniest guys. He was very generous, incredibly so. And with all this career that he had, and he actually was one of the most modest guys. That's why he called himself a music laborer. He called himself a literally laborer, the same word that we use for mine workers. He was a very caring guy. That's why Rushen has left such a big and sore spot in our hearts. Today is March 17th. Today is Rushen's birthday. Rushen has unfortunately left us last year at the end of May. And today I would like to talk about Rushen and I will read you a little part of the book, uh, the beginning part of the book about his birth and where he came from. But first, I would like to tell you, for those who don't know Rushen, why he was an important guy and what it is that he achieved. A little bit about uh, Turkey's most famous viola player, many people's friends, and we call Abi, which means an older brother. So he was an older brother, he was an Abi, he was a mentor to, and he was a friend to many, many musicians in Turkey. So we are talking about Rushen Güneş, the violist who on his first birthday that, that we are celebrating without him. Now to introduce him to you, I would like to read a few lines from the obituary I wrote for him at Slip Disc blog site that came right after his passing in, in June last year. In his own words, he was a music laborer. Rushan Güneş was born on March 17, 1940, in a traditional wooden Turkish house in Beypazarı, a small town about 100 kilometers west of the Turkish capital, Ankara. Rushan entered the Ankara State Conservatoire in 1952 as a violin student. A full-time boarding school of 10 years, the conservatoire was established with the help of Paul Hindemith in 1936. There, Rushen studied with Nejdet Remzi Atak, a very famous Turkish violinist who had been a member of the Leipzig Gewandhaus Orchestra in the late 1920s. It was going to be another nine years before Güneş would pick up the viola either as a result of a coin toss to choose who would be playing the viola in a string quartet or, according to him, because his then-girlfriend would not return his violin at the end of the summer break claiming that she loved his violin more than she loved him. Upon his graduation, Rushan joined the Turkish Presidential Symphony Orchestra in 1961. After a concert conducted by the former conductor of the City of Birmingham Symphony Orchestra, George Weldon, where Rushan had stepped in as a last-minute substitute soloist, Weldon helped to find him a scholarship to study at the Royal College of Music in London. So between 1963 and 65, Rushan studied at the Royal College of Music with Frederick Riddle, principal viola of the London Philharmonic Orchestra, a position he was to hold years later. Rushan continued his studies at the University of Indiana at Bloomington with the legendary William Primrose in 1966-67. Having married, Rushan moved to London in 1970. He played with orchestras like the Royal Opera Orchestra, the English Concert with Trevor Pinnock, and as principal with the English Chamber Orchestra, extensively touring with Daniel Barenboim, Isaac Stern, Pinkas Zuckerman, Murray Pariah, and Paul Torterier in the 1970s. 
Rushen was the principal viola of the London Philharmonic between 1979 and 1988, and later with the BBC Symphony Orchestra in London between 1988 and 2000, when he retired. Rushen was also an avid chamber musician, a founding member of the Ersoy Quartet in 1968 and the London String Quartet 1979, and collaborated with artists such as Sir George Scholte, Georgi Pauk, Lydia Mortkovic, Raphael Wolfish, guitarist John Williams, and Turkish pianist Idil Biret, among others. He was solely responsible for the creation of a viola repertoire by contemporary Turkish composers, and either commissioned and or premiered virtually all Turkish viola concertos, including Ahmet Adnan Saygun, Nejil Kazım Akses, Yalçın Tura, and Cengiz Tanç. He also played the Turkish premieres of many 20th century works like Walton and Bartok concertos in Turkey. Güneş played the solos of Sancho Panza to many Don Quixotes, including Andre Navarra, Pierre Fournier, David Geringas, Heinrich Schiff and Ralf Kirschbaum in Richard Strauss's Don Quixote. But these might be well known to people who know him musically, but Ruchan had an immense interest in poetry and literature, himself writing hundreds of poems, short stories, and also setting music for viola and piano to the poems of Turkish poet Orhan Veli Kanık. Today I would like to read you a little section from the first part of my book where I am talking about where he was born, this little town in the 1940s and a little bit about his family origins. Now, you have to remember that the Turkish Republic had been established in 1923 and in 1940 it was still a very young republic and the Turkish people had become a nation only 17 years before. So this is a little travel back in time to 1940s and 50s in central Anatolia in the Turkish Republic. They were living in a two-storied house across the main post office. The house was partly occupied by a great uncle's family. There was a garden in front of the house that was surrounded by a high wall. Walking on the side street across the post office, the house door was reached as soon as one passed the high wall of the garden. A small blue plaque on the old and crooked wooden door of the house read, Two. Once inside the house, a steep and narrow staircase led to the first floor where the family lived. There were only two rooms off the landing at the end of the staircase. Their first child, a baby girl named Aishan, was born in 1937 at the family's summer home, the Vineyard House. Now, three years later, they were expecting their second child. Would it be a girl or a boy? Well, as long as it was a healthy baby, the gender of the child did not matter. Or so thought everybody, but Gülşen, Ruşen's mother, was quietly hoping for a baby boy somewhere deep in her heart. She had spent much effort and turned the large room across the stairs into a baby's room. She had sewn new curtains and embroidered duvets with her own hands. This came naturally to her as she was a dressmaker. Ruchan was born on March 17, 1940 in the early hours of the morning. 
Within a week of the birth, her husband Kazim Bey came from Ankara, where he had very recently started working, and took his wife Gulshan and the little Rushan with him back to Ankara. Family members were rather surprised with his decision to take a postnatal woman on a tough road trip. Ankara was only about a hundred kilometers away, but in those days it took seven hours for a bus to travel to Ankara. And it was not an easy trip. The Ayash Pass midway to Ankara, with the road curving around so much, was enough to make anyone throw up or at least feel dizzy and nauseous. However, no one would have guessed that this would actually be an auspicious decision. Kazim Bey must have forebode. In less than a week after their trip, a major fire had broke out in town center and had rapidly spread in the direction of the main post office across their house. The trucks and personnel of the local fire brigade was not enough to put out this big fire and further help had to be requested from nearby towns. As a precaution, houses on the path of the fire had been evacuated and all the furniture had been moved to other houses, including those of Gushan's beautiful baby's room. The fire had consumed the traditional partly wooden houses so fast that in a short period of time over 130 houses had been burnt down. The fire brigade had only been able to stop the fire just three houses away from little Rushan's room. Güneş Dede and the family Güneş Gülşen's husband's family was known as the Attars. Some thought this was because of the family trade as Attar, a shop that sells spices, teas and perfumes. Others believed that this was due to the family's origins as Crimean Tatars and Attar was only a deviation from Tatar. The name Güneş, meaning the sun, on the other hand, originated with Güneş Dede seven generations earlier. He was the one who had traveled south from Crimea, first to the island of Crete and then to Izmir on the mainland. No one knows how and why he had ended up here at Beypazarı, more than 600 kilometers inland from the Aegean coast. Perhaps the exceptionally fertile lands of the region had attracted him. Locals revered Güneş Dede very much, almost like a local saint, and regularly placed candles at his tomb. The tomb was in an exceptional location overlooking the whole valley at the foot of the rocks which were shaped like huge dinosaur vertebrae. His was the only tomb up there where it stood bravely against severe colds and winds and to time and loneliness. It is said that Güneş Dede had a special talent that he could cure skin diseases by touching and praying. This was still true according to family members. By using the soil from his tomb, skin problems such as eczema, warts and similar diseases could be cured. Gülşen had heard that her husband Kazım Bey's sisters also possessed this gift. She may not have believed if she was told that their daughter Aishan would also be able to make warts disappear by repeating certain prayers in a matter of few days. This was a gift from Güneş Dede to his family. Beypazarı, the Chieftain's Market The most fertile lands in Anatolia were around Beypazarı. In olden times, the town was on the Istanbul-Baghdad main trade route. 
Ottomans had used it as a military garrison and had stationed their thief-holding cavalry corps here. The town's center was established on the easier-to-settle plains and valleys stuck between pointy volcanic hilltops that resembled dinosaur vertebrae. Because of this strange feature, in the ancient Luvian language, a language similar to the Hittites of the same region, the town was called Lagania, meaning the land of the rock summit. The Vineyard House Paevi the Ganesh family used to spend the winter in the house near the town center, but the children's favorite was the vineyard house that was only about 600 meters away. As soon as the weather improved in late spring, the family used to move there for the summer. They had to move all the mattresses, pillows and sheets because as soon as the schools closed, not only their own family but also all the cousins and relatives would also gather here. Summer holidays were the most colorful times at the vineyard house. The craze of running to the coastal areas or having a summer house near the beach had not yet started in the 1940s. The vineyard house was right in the middle of the wide plain below the slopes where the town was situated. Surrounded by all the green fields and fruit orchards, it seemed like an oasis next to the barren hills. The house was made of mud bricks and wood as most of the houses in this region. They had originally planned it as a three-storied house, but an unexpectedly heavy rainfall had melted the mud bricks while Zeki Effendi was building the second floor. Because of that, the ceiling of the second floor could not have been built high enough to be an actual floor. Instead, they had placed a long hole that laid right across in the center of the house and above the four rooms at each corner of the second floor. This long hall was the most crowded and the most cheerful part of the house as all the children, numbering more than 10, would sleep here on a line of mattresses rolled out on the floor. The hall had the feeling of the dormitory of a boarding school, probably similar to the dormitories Rushem was to find at the conservatory in Ankara. The vineyard house had two doors, one at the front facing the wide path which pretended to be a little street and the other that opened to the garden. It was a different world within the garden walls. There were many fruit trees here, fig, quince, apple, mulberry, sour cherry and wild apricot. There were no regular apricot trees but many grapes, on one side green and on the other blue delicious grapes. There was so much fruit on these trays during the summer that the branches would be leaning down toward the ground. This was a very fertile land with much water. There was bubbling waters running all around. A small irrigation canal used to run next to the house and through the garden. This little canal, dug in the ground and walled with rocks on the sides, entered the garden under one of the walls made a 90-degree angle as soon as it passed the house heading to the neighboring gardens. When it was time to water the garden, this ice-cold running water that came from the mountains would be blocked by a big rock and as soon as the watering ended, it would be let go to rejuvenate other gardens on its way. There was always a table where the canal would make the angle during the summer months. With the cold water running next to it and under all the tree branches, this was the coolest point in the whole garden. 
The table was also very close to a shaggy hut which leaned on the garden wall built of rocks and stones of all sizes. The hut housed the stone oven. Gözleme, bread and the famous kuru of Beypazarı, a kind of buttery non-sweet biscotti, were baked in this oven. Fresh milk would be mixed with butter and flour in a wooden basin and then the yeast would be added. Once the enticing scents coming from the oven began to fill the air, all the children from around would gather to get a taste of the baked goods. Outside the garden door stood a tremendous mulberry tree. This is where the children played hide-and-seek. There were children of all sizes, so many that Grandma Hatice could not remember all of their names and when she wanted to talk to one of them, she would hold their shoulders and ask their name. Then she would start laughing, realizing how funny her question was. At the end of the season, once the weather began to cool down, the cattle would be slaughtered, since there was no place to keep them at the winter house. Meat would be typically stored for the winter as sujuk, Turkish pepperoni, or would be simply minced. Since these cannot be done in the summer heat, moving back to the house in town would sometimes be as late as November. Even though the distance was not much, the move was always a difficult one. Since Kazım Bey and Gülşen Hanım, Ruşen's parents, had decided to stay in Ankara for the children's education, they were only able to come back to Beypazarı when the schools were closed. Ruşen and all the children were to remember the times they spent at the vineyard house as the happiest times of their lives, mixed with childhood dreams. So began Turkey's most famous violist's life in Beypazarı in central Anatolian Turkey. As we remember Ruşen and his career and life, I send my greetings to London, to his wife Karen and to his children Leyla, Kerim, Anushka and Alev and remind everybody that Ruşen's passing has been received with much sadness both in his native Turkey and his and his home in England. He has always been very supportive and loving toward younger musicians and non-musicians alike, as hundreds of social media messages of love and great sadness will attest. Ruşen, whose unique sense of humor and innumerable anecdotes, especially with conductors, still make everyone involved grim even after decades, is remembered as a man of great character with high morals a man of great generosity and sincere friendship, a great section leader with a glorious sound in the orchestras he played, a mentor to so many younger musicians, and certainly a man of no bullshit. We miss you very much, Ruşen. I hope you are in a better place and happy birthday. Julene idare ediyor. Brav semfonlerden bir tanesi hangisi olduğunu hatırlamıyorum. Fakat konu ikinci kama partisi. Büyük konu oldu. İkinci kama partisi Acaba yukarı mı gitmeli, aşağı mı gitmeli, biraz daha fa- biraz daha az mı olmalı filan falan büyük bir discussion var tamam mı? Konservaister, şef böyle sorgular içinde filan. Birdenbire birisi hatırladığı şeyi dediler ki, grup şefi, ikinci kemal grup şefi, John Willis'in. Dediler, bir de ona soralım ya. John böyle süpen psikiyo orada duruyor. <gülüyor> dediler ki, John, what do you think John? John baktı böyle. To emigrate, did he? Yeah, we've got that exactly to love us.
Ulan bırakın çalalım ya gidelim alalım. Norman Freeman diye bir kemancı vardı böyle şişman. İyi kemancıydı. En arkada oturuyor lan Masa Players. Harry Black ya, şef. Birdenbire dedi ki hangi senfon hatırlamıyor. Hep klasik eser çalınırdı. Schubert diye. Vatsa yemekler falan. Norman dedi sen çal dedi tek başına. Norman. Norman kalktı böyle ya. Harry dedi. If I could play this dedi. I would have been your orchestra. <gülüyor> Thank you for joining me today at another Open Windows podcast of Hit the Road Cultural Journeys. Until next time, all the best. <laughs> <laughs>